waitress's ponytail because it's time for the Grain of Truth New Zealand special. Please welcome your host, David Innes. Hello and welcome to Grain of Truth New Zealand, the show where the truth often feels uncomfortable being associated with its proportionally bigger neighbouring lie. Your grains of truth today. A footbridge is made up of 12-inch bridges. <laughs> the man who grew plants on his body shrugged his shoulders. <laughs> Lumberjacks make good lodges. They always pay board. <laughs> and confused about how to travel around Shanghai? Take a Rick Unshaw. <laughs> to introduce our panellists for the episode, it's over to our resident scorekeepers, the Boffins! From the New Zealand Graduate School of Education, representing classical studies, it's Brendan Bennett! <laughs> From the University of Canterbury, representing comics, it's Jeff Clark! <laughs> From the University of Canterbury, representing computers, it's Matt Powell! <laughs> From the New Zealand Graduate School of Education, representing Regency Romance, it's Karen Healy! The rules of Grain of Truth are simple. Points are awarded to the panellists for their responses to ridiculously absurd questions, scenarios and topics. Whoever has the most points wins the coveted Grain of Truth prize, which this week is a biscuit-based temporal engine. Yes, it's a cookie time machine. It even has edible integrated circuits. Yes, there'd be chocolate chips. Mm. Now, now <laughs> uh, thank, thank, yes, but say thank you for the one lone clap in the corner there. Ooh, uh. Now, before we begin the quiz, here's a small challenge for everybody on the panel. Can you name the grain of truth that connects all four of our panelists' surnames? So that's Bennett's. Clark, Powell, and Healy. And we'll get to the answer at the end of the episode. But I will give you a clue. That is your clue, so I'll give that again. Okay, so I'll let you ponder upon that. But we'll start with round one, which is called Right Said Ted. Each panellist must deliver a 90-second Ted-style presentation relating to a theme. At 60 seconds, they'll hear this noise. And at the 90-second mark, they'll hear this noise. At which they must, at that point, wrap up their talk. Whoever uses their special skills to present on the theme the best will get the points. Now, the theme of this TED presentation is socialising and being awfully polite. So we'll start with Brendan Bennett, representing Classical Studies, to talk about socialising and being awfully polite. Uh, Brendan, your time begins now. When thinking about socialising and being polite, one must, as with most things, go back to the Greeks, who (laughs) built their entire culture upon these very concepts. Let's look at a typical battle scene from Homer's epic poem, The Iliad. The Greek and Trojan armies are in a life-or-death struggle in front of the walls of Troy, when two warriors spot each other, the Trojan ally Glaucus and the Greek hero Diomedes. Two things about battles in The Iliad. They feature incredibly specific descriptions of death wounds, usually involving a warrior being stabbed fatally in the left nipple, and... Whenever two warriors meet each other, which is all the time, it's a battle, everyone, <laughs> everyone else stops what they're doing and waits politely while the two combatants introduce themselves in the most roundabout way possible, which is probably why the war took ten years. <laughs> so, Glaucus reels off a hundred lines of dactylic hexameter about his grandfather <laughs> and how the gods granted him, and I quote, 
a desirable manhood. <laughs> Which is usually not something you want to know about your or anyone else's granddad. <laughs> then Diomedes, instead of saying, you know, prepare to Diomedes or Glau kiss my ass, he instead says, oh, wait a second. My granddad was mates with your granddad. Let's be friends. <laughs> Which I think is really lovely. Uh, that taking the time to be social and polite in an incredibly unsociable situation meant that a friendship was formed rather than a pile of bodies. Now, here's the takeaway. If you should ever find yourself in a situation of high conflict, pause, take a breath, and then just spit out two or three pages of carefully constructed poetry about your grandfather's penis. <laughs> it may not make you into firm friends as it did for Glaucus and Diomedes, but it may just distract them long enough for you to stab them in the nipple. <laughs> You were talking there about uh, a conversation was occurring out of conflict. I just would like to ask a question to the panel. I'll be starting with Brendan. Uh, have you ever, in your life, had to were able to be really excessively polite in order to get out of a confrontation or get out of a conflict at some point? David, I am a high school teacher. <laughs> <laughs> your mo? Anything specifically you can imagine? What happened last week? <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. Just that, just that frozen smile on the face, um, that, and just the teeth gritted. Um, trying to say yes, yes, that's right, yes, yes. Backing away slowly. <laughs> now, Jeff, you're a, a, as a dad as well. I suppose mm. you would have to have many polite ways to get out of conflicts as well. Yes, I do. Uh, my, but the highlight or the heyday of my extracting myself from confrontational situations uh, was when I worked retail in a bookstore at a university. Right. And at the start of the year, they would have the buyback of used textbooks. Mm. Um, so people would bring in the used textbooks, and we had criteria for how we would have to take them. And... Um, Obviously, uh, being able to explain to the six foot three engineering student who also plays rugby um, <laughs> that I cannot take back their uh, five year old edition of the cancelled textbook that they have filled with highlighter and possibly bodily fluids, <laughs> they must have been a really enthusiastic engineering student, uh, became an art. So basically, the more objectionable and argumentative a customer got, the more polite and lovely I would be. <laughs> now I just like the idea that you're going to have some sort of, you know, maximum politeness where you just explode in the shining of rainbows and delightfulness. Absolutely. And, and they would be blinded and wither into the shades of shriveled up raisins that they were. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to say, I love it how you have like a maximum amount of bodily fluid that a textbook can have. <laughs> Before you, before you can no longer accept it. Well, it depends on those engineering textbooks, I imagine. Yeah. Well, uh, most of them get popped, so... Oh, well, there we go. Uh, to next speak on the topic of socialising and being awfully polite is Jeff Clark, representing comics. And now, Jeff, your time begins now. What would the world be like if superheroes had better manners? Or were more social? Superheroes aren't hugely social beings, and their manners are pretty terrible. First and foremost, they tend to think they're beyond due process and the law alienating the police. Why must they be vigilantes? Wouldn't it be lovely to see Clark Kent, UN peacekeeper, Johnny Storm, firefighter, or a Gotham PD funded by the Thomas and Martha Wayne Memorial Fund? <laughs> Much of the problems of superhero films and comics are generally caused by the heroes being rude or ba lacking basic social skills or manners. Thor, a dick. Hal Jordan, a dick. Tony Stark, an unbelievable dick. 
But what if they had better social etiquette? Imagine a world where recently orphaned eight-year-old Bruce Wayne was encouraged to spend time with friends and begin the healing process instead of entering into isolation and a brutal training regime. Or if Spider-Man, rather than mocking J. Jonah Jameson for his opposition to a unitard-wearing vigilante, actually had a civil conversation with the newspaper magnate. Public opinion may well have been much more in the wall crawler's favour. The Avengers are much more dysfunctional than they are good friends or heroes, full of macho bravado and hammer-pulling that tends to cause more problems than they solve. And it's getting worse. The original Superman would have tried to talk to General Zod instead of snapping his neck. Batman has gone from an earnest crusader for justice and role model for his young ward to a borderline psychotic. And now we actually praise superheroes with names like Kick-Ass or Hellboy. The Justice League doesn't look like they're going to be a group of super friends at all. You may also (laughs) notice I haven't mentioned female superheroes at all. That is because thus far the stupid boys haven't even let them have a film of their own. Although, let's be frank, Black Widow, not the best social skills either. I offer this advice not simply as criticism, but in the hope that we can redeem the terrible behaviour thus far of our superheroes and enter a world where, instead of just breaking everything and causing property damage, we hear the words, May Hulk smash. <laughs> in the big, gigantic soup, imagine the uh, creative soup that you have in front of you, mm. J- uh, Jeff, there, uh, what would be some idealistic qualities of mankind you would like to see in a superhero of your choice? And in fact, I'll give the option to the panel to have a think about what are some ideal qualities they would like in their superheroes in the future. Punctuality. Punctuality. Most yeah. superheroes always leave it way too late. Right, too late. You way want, too late. You if, want a highly organised. Absolutely. Superhero. You know, if, if they got there before they'd even set up the death trap, mm. then they wouldn't have to choose between the love of their life or their young ward. Mm. They could save them um, both. Su- superhero is really good at punching. I would like a superhero whose uh, whose superpower is punching down. Punching down. No. Punching down. Punching up. Punching up. Punching up. Oh. Punch up. Yeah. Yes, that's the one. Yeah. That's, 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 what, punch I, down. that's what I meant. Yeah. What I mean. Yeah, that's great. Right. Right. Uh, was it, Karen? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. okay. Karen, Karen, have you got an idealistic quality you'd like to see in your superhero? Karen's power is always having my back. That's right. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> mm. um, I, I'd like to. I, I like punctuality. I like mm. punching up. Yeah. Um, I'd like to see a little more politeness. Like instead of mm. get out of the way. Would you mind moving out of the way of this death laser, please? Yeah. As a you know, a standard passerby, I would be much more inclined to you know obey commands that were relayed to me in a nice fashion instead of being shoved out of the way by somebody with a shield. Mm-hmm. That's a, a very good point. Our next speaker is Matt Powell, representing computers, to present on the theme of socialising and being awfully polite. Matt, your time begins now. Last week, Google revealed that it has been working on what it calls a neural conversation model, a chatbot. Let's not get hung up on where a company like Google would obtain the massive corpus of sample data necessary to train such a system, (laughs) because it's an exciting time to be alive as the era of natural communication between humans and machines inches closer to reality. At first blush, the system seems remarkably promising. A sample chat with a user having network connection issues did, somewhat incredibly, manage to solve the problem. But when asked, what is immoral... The machine's blunt reply was, the fact that you have a child. (laughs) (laughs) So it needs more training data to learn the polite nuances of human conversation. And therein lies the problem, because currently the overwhelming majority of electronically mediated exchanges belongs to apps like Tinder, Grindr, and OkCupid. (laughs) Given this training data, we can reasonably expect our hypothetical electronic interlocutor to adopt nudes as an abbreviation for good afternoon, (laughs) and to replace the more formal dear sir stroke madam with just the word stroke and a winky face. (laughs) Like a four-year-old experimenting with swears, a chatbot must infer appropriate usage from context. 
Bad words don't come from other kids in the playground. They come ultimately from a generation that should know better. And as that generation, ladies and gentlemen, we are failing our robot offspring. It's time to clean up our online interaction. If we want to instill values like politeness, courtesy, and discretion in our AI, we have to cultivate them in our human interaction before they are lost forever. Thank you, everyone. DTF, DYDA. One of the most fascinating things for those who uh, live on the world of apps and things like that is being talked to by robots and chat robots trying to sell you things. But uh, I, I'm curious to know, Matt, uh, if what would be if you could give one, and this is a question for the panel, if you could give one suggestion of how we could be polite on social media or any of social communication apps of any kind based on your experience, what would it be? I'm just like I'm just flooded with. W- Basically, instructions don't do don't do that. <laughs> uh, uh, there are so many things that you could not do, and it would make the world a better place. I'm struggling to think of one that would actually. Well, go on. Well, that's, what, what's something? Faced. Just one thing. What's one thing off the top of your head that we shouldn't do on social media that would make life a lot a bit a lot better? Um, probably if you show someone a photo of your penis before you show them a photo of your face, that's probably bad manners. Okay, <laughs> that's bad manners. I'll get that down, everybody. Okay. That's super. Um, yeah. Karen, uh, well, I'll write it down. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it to the board. Um, uh, Karen, what would be something, uh, a, a politeness or something you would like uh, different in any sort oh, of... Oh, well, you know how you've got a calendar that, you know, you can put reminders in? Yep. I would like it to remind me of things that I've forgotten to put in there. <laughs> that would be that would be most handy. Uh, what about you, Brendan, if, in your uh, social media? I, th- I think the biggest uh, problem or stressor is silence in social media. Mm. Uh, you know, when you send someone a message yeah. dot, dot, dot. and then and then nothing comes back, and you immediately assume that it's because they are gathering their friends together to laugh at you, <laughs> when possibly they're you know taking a bath or something like that. I'll take you and raise you a red 3.38pm <laughs> and it's 8, yeah. you know, and it's still there's no reply as well. So maybe just some kind of automated message that just goes out every 15 minutes is, uh, I haven't forgotten you. I haven't forgotten you. I'm not mad at you. This is just, I'm just doing something else. The text yeah. equivalent of just nodding and going, uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. exactly. want that to come up. Our final speaker is Karen Healy, representing Regency Romance, to present on the theme of socialising and being awfully polite. Uh, Karen, your time begins now. If one should happen to find oneself transported into the realm of Regency Romance, one might be very well concerned about one's manners. In this brief but glorious period of England's ascendancy, funded by slavery and stealing everything that could be carried out of India, the rituals and customs of society became nearly as intricate as the embroidery on the Prince Regent's trousers. Fortunately, however, you have not been transported to history, but to historical fiction, where 90% of everyone is an earl or a dowager duchess, and the other 10% are determined common lads or lasses with a spark in their eye and suspiciously perfect teeth. Here, your aim is not realism, but romance. In the modern regency, you need not fret about using the wrong fork for fish, but how you should conduct yourself should your host gad about mother return from the continent in a red dress and declare his illegitimacy before the world. The answer is simple. In this situation, you must immediately whisk him away to the nearest darkened balcony for a quick consolatory shag. (laughs) If a handsome gentleman or pert minx is struck by a runaway carriage, you ought to inveigle them into your bed in a flurry of improbable underwear. 
If you're caught on the moors in a raging storm with your worst enemy, the correct response is to grudgingly mention that you had probably best shared a single blanket. <laughs> Regency romance plots may be complex, but the etiquette isn't. Whether the catastrophe that befalls your beloved be an unexpected murder charge, a younger sister in the family way, or a surprise duel at dawn, the solution is sex and lots of it. After all, it's only polite. <laughs> Karen, if you think about uh, all sort of social interactions and things, and there's things that we are supposed to do out of politeness, but some of those things that we do out of politeness is complete rubbish. And this is a question to the panel. Um, what politeness rule, uh, social politeness rule, would you like to get rid of if there was one that you would like to get rid of, Karen? One where you're supposed to, like, be nice to your racist great-aunt. <laughs> oh, I hate that racist great-aunt! <laughs> like, why? Sure, in her time, things were different, but this is my time, and I don't like it. So, you know, maybe don't knock her over the head unless she's got a really good inheritance. Well, that's for you, that's the point, isn't it? Like, yeah. it's like the fact that she's still alive, it's still technically her time. If it's not her time anymore, she should just f***ing be dead. <laughs> <laughs> right? She should have that basic courtesy. Harsh realities from Matt Powell. Um, Jeff, what would be a, a, a social politeness you'd like to get rid of? Oh, um, feigning, uh, feigning being impressed at uh, someone's baby's achievement. <laughs> and I, I, speak, I speak as the father of two. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I am probably as guilty of it as that, but I am also oh, yeah. subject many a time <laughs> to yeah. uh, the... To, to, and, and, and people don't call me on it when I have said it. Occasionally I've been called on it, but I would appreciate people calling on it more because when you are in that far into parenthood, that's all you have to talk about. And I'd, I'd prefer to, to actually say, actually, I'd rather talk about that episode of that show that I watched, mm. you know, that we, that, that we can both say that we enjoy. Has anyone ever else been tempted on Facebook when people post photos and say, oh, this is my beautiful nephew? It's like, no. Look at that ugly ball of flesh that you're holding <laughs> I on to. only know people with attractive nephews. Oh, <laughs> there you go. That's delightful. Uh, Brendan, what would be a, a social politeness or well, a social nicety that you like? As to someone who's terrible at social, <laughs> I, I would like to get rid of small talk. I, <gasps> the, yes. like the ideal for me would be if you met someone... You would just say hi, and then you would like list three possible topics. So, <laughs> you'd be like, "Hi, David. Uh, Jurassic World, Dear Devil, PlayStation." So, Brendan, you're an NPC in a Final Fantasy game. <laughs> <laughs> you should, yes, yes. And if I miss the conversation the first time, it'll loop back around. I'd love to go into a party and just see the people I can interact with have exclamation marks on their heads and talk to them. Well, that's the end of the round, so it's time for a score update from the Boffins. Boffins! According to the grain of truth journey to the centre of the earth, Matt Powell is in the lead by a questionable understanding of geology and physics. (laughs) The next round is the analysis and application round, and our panel is divided into teams of two and must apply their skills to an application task. Now, uh, Karen and Matt, you are we challenging you to be at a social gathering. Mm-hmm. Now, Matt, uh, you'll be having the conversation that is uh, very polite. It's a one-sided conversation sure. um, that is very, very polite and uh, at this social gathering. Karen, you're going to actually be the translator of what he really thinks. Okay, so you're going to be the translator of what he really thinks at this social gathering. So when you're ready, away you go. Oh, uh, sorry I'm late. Uh, traffic was, you know... I got up half an hour late and then I spent an hour in the bath because I felt like it. (laughs) 
Oh, I love this place. Oh, God, these walls. <laughs> Are these posters from, like, the 80s? Are these all your books? You read those books. <laughs> no. Ah, uh, oh, I love... I don't remember the last time I read The Neverending Story. I read it when I was eight, like <laughs> eight-year-olds do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I brought this wine. Uh, I wasn't sure what you liked. Um... <laughs> It was gifted to me at the last gathering. I'm sure it's disgusting. Uh, no, I love Thai. I don't like Thai. <laughs> I'm allergic to peanuts and she never remembers. Will you just get what you normally get and I'll have some of that. I will be eating steamed rice. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Karen and Matt. All right. Uh, Jeff and Brendan, I'll be challenging you to tell me more about these secret clubs and societies that we might not have heard of. Uh, I want you to tell us how you join up, what happens in these meetings, and maybe some of the codes uh, involved. Um, The first club I want you to tell me a little bit more about is the Deep Voiced Club. The Deep Voiced Club? Yeah, what happens in the Deep deep Voiced voiced Club? club. Yes, Yes. the Deep Voiced Club. Deep Deep in the bowels of the earth. <laughs> Low where, down. Yes, you must ascend many staircases to get to the Deep Voice Club. Yes, yes. There on the walls are pictures of hippos, elephants, and, and James other... Earl Jones. <laughs> <laughs> All creatures that speak with low tones. Mm. Whilst in there, you will be spoken to in low tones. Yes. There's no secret handshake. You just caress the other person with the vibrations from your voice. <laughs> Lovely. Uh, could you tell me a little bit more about the Pardon Me Mrs. Club? What's the Pardon Me Mrs. Club all the about? The Pardon Me Mrs. Club is for lovers of 1970s British sitcoms. <laughs> right. um, so naturally, it's race, racist, sexist, and homophobic. Okay. Um, but always uh, always in jolly good jest. Yes, I mean, important features of the club is that there's always a cat on hand, but it's never called a cat. <laughs> yes. Uh, you are issued with a defective belt that will snap every, every 30 or 40 seconds. Yes, and there is a vicar just outside <laughs> waiting to come through the door at the most inappropriate time. Fantastic. And finally, uh, what about the club club? The club club. Well, the, no seals allowed. No. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Brendan and Jeff. Oh, well, that's the end of the round, so it's back over to the Boffins with a score update. Boffins! According to the Grain of Truth Death Star, Jeff Clark is in the lead by a disturbance in the force. <laughs> Uh, the next round is what we call the calm versus the worry round. Uh, Brendan and Jeff, uh, you'll be representing Team Calm, uh, whilst Matt and Karen, you'll be representing Team Worry. Can I request that they do it in the deep voice? <laughs> uh, if that is permitted. Uh, in fact, that might be the case for being calm and soothing. Um, and what you'll be uh, doing is you'll be given a topic. You'll be given 45 seconds to uh, give reasons as to why we should be either calm about that topic and then 45 seconds why we should be worried about that topic. And you as an audience will be deciding which what we should be. Should we be worried about this or should we truly be calm based on the evidence provided? So we're going to start uh, with uh, uh, the, the calm team. And the first topic uh, in we're going to find should we be calm or worried is a spoon in the sink. So there's a spoon in the sink. Uh, Should we be calm or should we be worried? Your 45 seconds starts now. 
You should obviously be very calm about a spoon in the sink. A spoon is the easiest piece of cutlery to clean. Any objects that are on there are easy to scrape off. Mm. The surface has no uh, unexpected ridges. It's not sharp in any way. You're not going to cut yourself while cleaning it. It's very, very simple to clean a spoon in the sink. Absolutely right. And you know what? Sometimes you do need water splashed in your face. (laughs) Sometimes you need it to come unpredictably. (laughs) Keeps you awake, makes you feel alive. That's right. That's right. Just embrace that. Embrace that wet patch that's landed on your crotch and it's going to be really embarrassing to explain. Mm. It'll be fine. That's very true. All right, well, that's the end of time there, so uh, keep that in mind. And now it's uh, over to the Warriors. Uh, Tell us why we should be worried about a spoon in the sink. Your time begins now. Water in your eyes. You are blinded. You reach in. You hit the button. The garbage disposal goes. You don't have a hand anymore. That's right. I mean, even if that doesn't happen to you, or one spoon in the sink is just a... It attracts more spoons. Your flatmates will start leaving more spoons in the... (laughs) And pretty soon... Pretty soon, there will be 10,000 spoons in your sink and you will not be able to find a knife when you need one. (laughs) Well, that's the end of time there. Lovely. So what we'll do is uh, uh, consider the evidence there. Do you think about uh, the concept of a spoon in the sink? Should we be calm or should we be worried? Uh, Give a round of applause if you think we should be calm. (laughs) Or should we be worried? Okay, uh, so we're clearly there's one mark we should be worried there about a spoon in the sink. Um, uh, next topic that we're going to be talking about is climate change. So we're going to see uh, with some time whether or not we should be calm or whether or not we should be worried. Uh, I'm going to start with the worriers on this one. We're going to start with the worriers. Uh, your whether should we be worried or calm about climate change? Well, you starting... don't have to listen to the scientists. Your gut tells you that it's getting colder or warmer in an appropriate in an inappropriate fashion. I, mean, I leave the house in the morning uh, wrapped up in a, a coat and a scarf, and I'm sweltering by lunchtime. Steam so it, rising. From so my I body. go home and get changed. I put on a t-shirt. I walk out. The southerly hits. What am I going to believe? I can't, I don't know what to believe about the weather anymore. What am I going to wear? And it's affecting my fashion choices. Soon we'll all be going naked. Excellent. Well, I'll let you all end of time there. So we're going to now move over to the calm. Why should we be calm about climate change? Uh, Team, your time begins now. Well, guys, I think we should just be calm because, according to scientists, there's nothing we can do about it anymore. (laughs) We're locked in. It's going to happen. We're doomed. I say we just sit back, get naked, relax. And enjoy the ride. Do you know which beer used to be the most dangerous? Polar bears. No one's scared of polar bears anymore. (laughs) We just feel sorry for them. (laughs) Polar bears are dicks. (laughs) But now they're gone. Relax. And let's face it. What is climate change going to wipe out first? The people with waterfront property. The most rich and asshole people of the world. So I say, bring it on. Bring yeah. on the rising tide. Wonderful. It's fine. Wonderful. That's the end of time. So again, you're going to decide whether or not we should be calm or worried about climate change. Uh, should we be worried? Or should we be very calm about this? We should be very calm. So that's uh, one each. Uh, I, think, I think we did our job too well. Sorry? <laughs> I think we did our job too well. Uh, Sorry about climate this, change. Uh, Grain of Truth is sponsored by Fox News. <laughs> um, finally, uh, as our tiebreaker, uh, find out for this one, your topic is penguins. Uh, penguins is your topic. Well, should we be calm about penguins or should we be worried about penguins? Uh, I'll start with the calm team. Uh, so you've got 45 seconds to tell us why we should be calm about penguins. 
There's nothing more soothing than having a butler on hand. <laughs> Whether it's Alfred or Jeeves, it's a reassuring presence in a tuxedo at your left hand. Well, a penguin could serve that purpose just as well. Penguins are perhaps the cutest, cuddliest and least lethal birds in the animal kingdom. They cannot fly, they can only swim, and they lack opposable thumbs. <laughs> I'm Morgan Freeman, <laughs> and I endorse penguins. <laughs> they can tap dance, they're entertaining, and they're just cute. Penguins are wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, we'll stop there, which is lovely. Uh, so now, why should we be worried about penguins? Uh, your time begins now. As the seas rise and the ice melts, those swimming penguins are going to be swimming in one direction, right to New Zealand's shores. They will be swarming up the beaches. They will be going for our children's throats. <laughs> These vile, tooth-beaked menaces will be clawing... No, not clawing. They'll be... Picking their way into they your slap with their flippers. They yeah. around. They do a little victory dance over you. That's what that tech dancing's all about. And to anyone who wants to be calm about penguins, I just, I just want to advise you that you should watch an episode of Pingu. It's very <laughs> difficult for a penguin to be calm when they're all. Very astute, as always. <laughs> now, uh, well, you've been presented with the evidence, uh, so we're going to find out whether or not we should be calm or we should be worried. Uh, if you can tell me, should we be worried about penguins? <laughs> or should we be calm about penguins? We are definitely should be worried about penguins. Give it a round of applause! So, uh, that ties us over, which is lovely. Um, so, we should be uh, inherently worried about spoons in the sink and penguins. That is, uh, handy <laughs> hints for the... But not climate change. Uh, we'll all be dead anyway. So, now, uh, that's the end of the round. So, now I cross over to the boffins with a score update. What can you tell us, boffins? According to the grain of truth goose, Karen Healy is in the lead by 2.5 golden eggs. <laughs> Uh, it's now time to reveal the answer to our Grain of Truth Connection Challenge. Uh, did anyone on the panel get the connection between your names? That was Bennett's, Clark, Powell and Healy. They all appeared on the lease of an apartment. On the what, sorry? The lease of an apartment. Uh, on oh the lease God, of yeah. an apartment? Yeah. Well, tell us more true. about this apartment. Yeah, well, true. Or was it just the one apartment or on each different apartment? Mm -hmm. We, no. we, we all lived in the same house at some point. Oh, did you? Yes. Well, that's, uh, that's, that's really weird. I didn't even realise that. <laughs> oh, that's, that, that, it's, uh, but, uh, nev but never all four of us at once. No. Oh. No. That was impossible. That was fa that's fascinating. To, yeah. That's fascinating to four people in the room. Now, yeah. uh, anything, any other, any other um, connections? Anyone else? Are have? they all the names of jazz musicians? You are absolutely are they, great. Give a big round of applause. Oh, Brendan Bennett. But... Uh, but, but the, clue, the clue was... So yeah. they're dead jazz yeah, legends. Yeah, they are indeed. <laughs> dead jazz legends is the connection. Uh, that is very true. So you can get a, a small smidgen of points okay, there to okay, further clarify. On. Keep that in your smidgens. pile. Oh, um, my life is made out of smidgens, David. And oh, 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 we've all seen those smidgens. Now, uh, Bennett's Lane uh, was... Not before you saw my face. Oh, <laughs> oh I still... 
I still got that conversation somewhere. Now, uh, Bennett's Lane was, until June 2015, a popular jazz club in Melbourne. Oh, yes. It was one of the premium establishments for jazz quartets. Um, but one disgruntled customer, however, writes on TripAdvisor, when the group eventually got on stage, they were half an hour late and there was no sax slash bass clarinet player as advertised. I stuck it out until the end of the first set, but then we all left. There was nothing jazz about this group. A couple of impro solos on electric guitar and a bit of doobie-doo scat singing does not make jazz. They were still... half an hour late because they were attending the saxophone player slash bass clarinet player's funeral. Have some <laughs> goddamn decency. I know. But be- since that review, it has now closed. It has now been shut uh. down. Um... Since uh, that review, because of that review. A little bit from column A, a little from column B. Uh, Clark Terry, uh, who died in January 2015, was a pioneer of introducing the flugelhorn in jazz. Um, a flugelhorn, according to Wiki, re- represents a trumpet that has a wider conical bore. And the word flugel comes from the German word flugel, meaning wing or flank, and was often used on the battlefield to summon the flanks of an army. But I digress. Uh, Clark would uh, later work for 10 years on The Tonight Show and would often perform unique mumbling scat singing. Uh, so that was one of the things he was famous for. Uh, Bud Powell was a jazz pianist and was the leading figure in the development of bebop. Uh, he was once described as the Charlie Parker of the piano, and he died in 1966. Uh, Jeff Healy was a blind Canadian jazz and blues rock vocalist who died in 2008. He lost his sight to retinoblastoma, a rare eye cancer, at the age of one, and had to actually get his eyes surgically removed. Ooh. And there you go. But he was a very popular jazz and blues rock vocalist uh, in Canada. So that is the connection, and that is the end of the uh, program. But it's now over to the Boffins to determine who has won the Cookie Time Machine. Uh, Boffins, can you tell us who's won the Cookie Time Machine? Well, according to the Grain of Truth supercomputer, tonight's winner is Brendan Bennett. Yay! Yay! Uh, Brendan, what are you going to do with your cookie time machine? Uh, I guess I'm going to go somewhere where we don't need roads. <laughs> <laughs> and excellent. Well, that's the end of the program, and I hope you enjoyed it. You can come and see the recording on the first day of the month at 1pm at the Wesley Our website is www.grainoftruth.com.au. And follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash grainoftruthshow. And on Twitter, at grainoftruths. And now leaves me to thank our panel, Brendan Bennett, Jeff Clark, Matt Powell, Karen Hirley, I'm off on the weekend, my cousin, our composer, Matthew Hadcraft, arranged by Michael Bell of Orange Studios. Our logo designer, Tom Markovich, a sound restorer, Armour Petit, official palm vendor, Asher Cameron. Brendan Bennett's the nerd degree in Orange Studios, Christchurch. I've been your host, David Have an absolutely splendid day! This has been a Brendan Tell Us the Rest of Your Story production. <laughs> <laughs>